All right, well, we're there in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter number 9, and uh, last week we started a series on the subject of the crowns. Now, we didn't actually deal with any specific crowns last week. We talked about the idea of the judgment seat of Christ, of the fact that we will all stand before God, and we will be judged for the things that were done in our body, whether they were good or bad. But remember, that's not sin or not sin. That's whether it was value, it had eternal value or not. Today, we're going to get into the first of the five crowns that the Bible talks about. And tonight we're going to talk about the incorruptible crown. Now, let me say something about the incorruptible crown. Uh, I, to be to be honest with you, I'm not a hundred percent sure that the incorruptible crown is an actual crown, or if the idea behind teaching us about the incorruptible crown is just teaching us a method by which we get the interrupt the incorruptible crowns, which are all of the crowns. I hope I'm not confusing you, but, uh, you know, I don't know if the Apostle Paul is teaching us, you have to develop this or you have to get this under control if you plan to get any rewards in heaven or if this is an actual crown. And here's why I say it. All the other crowns are, are called, you know, the crown of something, the crown of righteousness, the crown uh, uh, of rejoicing, the crown of life. The incorruptible crown is the only one that titles doesn't follow that, that uh, idea. So this may be just an incorruptible crown or it may be that Paul is teaching us here how you earn all of the crowns, which are the incorruptible crowns. So this is kind of a, uh, uh, a foundational type uh, lesson, which is why we're, we're uh, starting with it uh, as far as the crowns are. I'd like you to look down at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, look at verse number 24. The Bible says this, Know ye not, that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. The prize is the reward. It's what you're going to get. He says, don't you know, and he gives this illustration about an athlete. He says, don't you know that an athlete, if someone, you know, is in a race, they're all running, but but only one is going to receive the prize. Only one is going to win. He says, so run that ye may obtain. He's saying, run to win. Try to get the reward. Try to get the prize. And here's what you need to understand. When an athlete, and we're not talking about an athlete like, you know, just some high school kid playing, you know, sports or whatever, but maybe someone who's doing this either professionally or, or doing it for, for a big, you know, think about like an Olympic athlete. When somebody decides, I'm going to, you know, run in the Olympics or I'm going to participate in the Olympics, their lives basically become about that gold medal, about that reward, about that prize. And it affects where they go. It affects what they eat. It affects when they sleep. It affects what they drink. Olympic runners aren't, you know, hanging out on Friday nights getting drunk. They're not going through the McDonald's drive-thru, you know. They're, they're on a strict diet. They're on a strict sleep diet. They're on a strict everything diet because all of a sudden that prize becomes what their life is all about. And Paul equates the Christian life to that race. He says, hey, no, you're not they which run in a race, run all, but one receiveth the prize. He says, so run that ye may obtain. Notice verse 25. And every man that striveth, the word strive means to make great effort, to put Work into it. He says, every man that striveth for the mastery. What does mastery mean? It means to win. It means you're the boss. You're in charge. You you mastered it. Notice, and every man that striveth for the mastery, and here's what I want you to notice, these words, is temperate in all things. The word we're going to be talking about tonight is that word temperate. The word temperate is an old word that basically means showing moderation or self-restraint, showing self-control. It's not taking the path 
of least resistance. Here's what the Apostle Paul says. Every man that striveth for the mastery, every man that's trying to win, every athlete that's trying to win has to learn to be temperate, self-restrained, self-controlled. When all their buddies are, are partying and staying up late, they need to go to bed because they got to get up early the next day to work out. When, when everybody, you know, when it'd be easy to just go get a pizza, they, they can't do that, right? Because they've got to eat their, you know, their chicken or whatever they eat, you know, their protein. And they've got, you know, they got to stay on their strict diet. And here's what he says. Every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things, is self-restrained in all things, is, has self-control in all things. Now they do it. Now notice, he says, now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we, and here's, here's our crown, an incorruptible. He says, you and I can learn to earn an incorruptible crown if we learn this idea to be temperate, to learn to control self in all things. Now, what does that mean? Notice verse 26. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. Do you see that? Here's what he's saying. He's saying, I become the boss of me. He said, I put my body in subjection. The word subject means to place yourself under the authority. He says, my body and my flesh, it's under, it's under my authority. He says, I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. He's saying, I want to finish. I want to win. I don't want to be a castaway. So I've learned to master my body and I've learned this idea of temperance or being in self-control so that I can win, so that I can obtain the incorruptible crown. And what I want to do tonight is I want to quickly, as quickly as I can, uh, give you just different areas in the Christian life where self-control is required. Because here's what you need to understand. The Christian life is a life of self-control. The Christian life is a life of self-restraint. The Christian life is a life of self-denial. And I want to just highlight some of those areas in the Christian life, and then we're going to close tonight where I'm going to give you some steps in regards to how to develop self-control or what we would call willpower uh, in our lives. Now, let me say this. Uh, well, go to the book of Hebrews. You're there in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. You're going to go past, Gala- past, past 1 Corinthians, past Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 2 Thessalonians, 1 2 Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews. Towards the end of the New Testament... You have the book of Hebrews. Go to Hebrews, and let me say this. This sermon and this concept, if there was one idea, if there was one, you know, thing that I wish that I can learn myself and apply in my own life and that I could just make people learn and apply, if there was a way that I could take a screwdriver and just open up people's brains and stick something in there, it would be this. The idea of self-control and, 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 and temperance. And, and let me kind of just give you a personal, a personal testimony, and maybe it's more information than, than you need. But as a pastor, you know, that's, that leads a church that's wanting to reach people and, 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 and teach people and, and keep people, you know, whenever someone quits our church, whenever somebody leaves, and I, I'm not talking about somebody who visited once and they never came back. I'm talking about somebody that was part of our group. They were part of our family. They were here, you know, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, whatever, soul winning, and, 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 and then they quit. They, they went back to the world. They went back to, 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 to their old life, and they're not here anymore. I always go through a period of, almost mourning, and, 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 and that might be 
too dramatic of a word. I don't, I don't know what other word to use. But there's always a, a time, I feel like, when somebody quits our church where I have to kind of mourn they're leaving. I have to, I go through a time of sadness, you know, where I just say, man, it's too bad that that person left or that happened or they got mad or, or they left. But you know, what I've noticed is this, whenever someone comes to our church and as soon as I can identify that this is a person that lacks self-control, this is a person that lacks self-restraint, this is a person that always takes the path of least resistance. They never do the hard thing. They always do the easy thing. I've, had to, I've learned as a pastor, as soon as that becomes clear in my mind, I almost have to force myself to mourn their leaving, even while they're still among us. Because here's the problem with people who do not have self-restraint, who do not have temperance or self-control. They do not last. And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying when he says, you know, I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. He says, look, there are Christians who used to be in the fight. They used to be in the race. They used to be in the battle. But now they're castaways. Now they've gone away. Now they're no longer here. And it's because of one word. It's because of one thought. It's because of one concept in their life. They lack self-control. They did not know how to force themselves to do the hard thing. They always took the path of least resistance. They always did the easy thing, and it causes them to fail at life. And by the way, every area you fail in in your life, every area that you might look at and say, I'm failing in this area, it's because of a lack of self-control or a lack of temperance. So let's talk about this idea of self-control and temperance and how it's required in the Christian life. Are you there in the book of Hebrews? The first thing I want you to notice, Hebrews chapter 12, look at verse 1. Getting victory over sin requires self-control. Getting victory over sin requires self-control. I'm not going to give you an alliterated outline tonight. I'm not going to give you a memorable outline. I usually try to do things like that. You know, the political rise, the physical rise, the religious rise. I try to give you things that you can remember and some of you are like, oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, okay. Well, but I'm just going to give you points tonight, all right? Hebrews 12, look at verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Notice how Paul often, uh, and I believe Paul wrote the book of Hebrews, often uses this analogy of the race. The Christian life is a race. And he says we're compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. He says, let us lay aside every weight. And the sin which doth so easily beset us. Now, I believe that a weight in this passage is not necessarily something sinful, because normally, because notice it's 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 uh, talked about uh, separate from sin. He says, "Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us." I don't know that the weight is necessarily a sin, but it's something that's weighing you down, something that's slowing you down, something that's stopping you. Maybe it's a hobby, maybe it's Facebook, maybe it's video games, you know, I don't know what it is, maybe it's golfing, but it's something in your life that maybe it's not a sin, but it's causing you to not run your race, not accomplish what you should be accomplishing. And here's what Paul says, he says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin, he says, the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run uh, with patience the race that is set before us. You don't have to turn there, but in Galatians 5, 7, he said this, ye did run well. He said, ye did run well 
Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? And tonight, I want to explain to you, and I kind of want to just explain to you why you need to develop self-control, why you need to develop temperance, why you need to learn to tell yourself no and make yourself do that which is difficult and that which is not easy. Because if you're going to get victory over sin, whatever that may be, maybe it's drugs, maybe it's alcohol, maybe it's pornography, maybe it's just laziness, maybe it's just, you know, whatever it is, if you're going to get victory over it, it's going to require you learning and developing self-control. Because the reason we sin is because we take the path of least resistance. The reason we sin is because we do what comes easy. We do what comes naturally. We do what our flesh desires, what it lusts after. And getting victory over sin requires self-control. You're there in Hebrews. Go back a couple of chapters to Hebrews chapter 10. Look at verse number 25. I'm kind of explaining to you that the Christian life requires self-control. You cannot successfully live the Christian life for a long time. You may be able to do it for a week or three weeks or three months or three years. But if you're going to finish the race, you're going to have to learn self-control. Number one, it requires getting victory over sin requires self-control. Number two, being faithful to church requires self-control. Notice what the Bible says, Hebrews 10, 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. That's a command. The Bible says that we are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. In the discipleship class, they go through a lesson on this subject, the idea of being faithful to church. And we teach them in discipleship class that it is a sin. It is a sin to skip church to purposely just decide, I will not. Notice what the Bible says. It is not a suggestion. He says, not forsaking. He says, here's the command. You are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. But then notice what he says, as the manner of some is. The word manner means habit. He says, some people have the habit. Some people have the, the, the pattern in their lives of just skipping church forsaking the assembling, not being around God's people. And let me tell you something. You, the reason you skip church, the reason you don't value church, the reason you're not faithful to church, if that's something you struggle with, is because of lack of self-control. Look, sometimes we don't want to come to church. I'm the pastor. I'm the one that's supposed to be preaching. And there are many Sunday mornings or Sunday nights or Wednesday nights where I'm just thinking to myself like, man, I sure like to skip church tonight, you know. And, and here's the thing, you know, and, and I used to think that before I was a pastor, but, but I tried not to. And I tried to just be faithful to the things of God. Because some people, look, some people have a manner, they have a habit of skipping church and, and, and forsaking the assembly. And here's what I think it's funny. And, I, you know, I'm going to get all of my, this is therapy for me tonight, right? So I'm going to get all the excuses out tonight. And if you've told me this, I'm not trying to hit you or whatever. But, you know, people, it's funny because people will, will say like, oh, well, the reason I skipped church because this came up and this came up, and this came up. But here's what I've noticed. Things come up for the same people all the time. It's like things are constantly coming up for the same person. And you know what I've noticed? When somebody decides, and I could name names tonight, but I'm not going to. But if, when somebody just decides, I will not miss church. I am purposing in my heart. I am making a commitment that I will do everything in my power to never miss church for any reason. I mean, I've got to be uh, in the emergency room. You know, I've got to be in an ambulance if, in order to skip church. Here's what I've noticed. When people make those decisions, almost never do they miss church. The opportunities just don't arise, you know, and here's why. Because if, you just, if you're just kind of like, ah, whatever, I'll go to church if it's easy. 
I'll go to church if it's not difficult. I'll go to church if it's not hard. Then Satan's just always going to put something in your way to make it hard. Because here's what he knows. You will never do the hard thing. You will always take the path of least resistance. You will always do that which is easy. So if it's easier to miss church than go to church, then he'll put something in your way to make it hard for you to go to church. See, the life of a Christian is a life of self-control. If you're going to get victory over sin, you're going to have to learn self-control. If you're going to be faithful to church, you're going to have to learn self-control. Let me give you a third one. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. You're there in the book of Hebrews. Go backwards toward, uh, past Philemon, past Titus, past 2 Timothy, into 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Look at verse number 13. 1 Timothy chapter number 4 and verse number 13. 1 Timothy 4.13. Notice what the Bible says. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. The word attendance means to give attention to, to put your attention on, to give your, you know, not to be distracted, but to direct yourself towards reading. You know that reading, reading the Bible requires self-control? Reading the Bible requires self-control. There are going to be many a day. Look, sometimes I wake up, and I'm excited to get in the Word of God. I'm excited to get in my Bible. I'm just reading, you know, and time goes by, and I haven't even noticed, and, and, and I'm just happy to be in the Word of God. And there are some times when I get up, and the last thing I want to do is read the Bible. Can I say that? Am I allowed to say that? You know, your pastor, good night. Every once in a while, I don't want to read the Bible. Every once in a while, I don't want to, I, I've got another book I'd want to read, or I want to, I have something else I'd like to do. But look, self-control, the Christian that learns to make themselves do what they should do, here's a good word you ought to put in your vocabulary, duty. Amen. Every once in a while, we just ought to do the right thing out of duty, because it's the right thing to do. You know, and today people will preach against doing things out of duty. Hey, when did duty become a bad thing? Where I just do what's right, not because I want to, not because I feel like it, but because it's the right thing to do. Reading the Bible requires self-control. Let me give you another one. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. You're there in 1 Timothy. Uh, go, go, keep going backwards into uh, 1 and 2 Thessalonians. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Look at verse 22. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 22. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 22. 1 Thessalonians 5.22, abstain from all appearance of evil. Abstain from all appearance of evil. You know, the Bible says not only should we abstain from evil, but we should abstain from the appearance of evil. We shouldn't even do things that look wrong. You know, maintaining a good testimony requires self-control. Maintaining a good testimony requires self-control. You don't have to turn there, but Proverbs 22.1 says this, a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches, and loving favor rather than silver or gold. The Bible says that we are to maintain a good testimony. You should have a good testimony in your neighborhood. You should have a good testimony at work. You should not, you at work should be known as the hardest worker, the person that's never late, they're always on time, they're always doing what they're supposed to do. You, you know, it should not be said at work, oh yeah, the Christian, they're always late. They always take an extra 50 minutes because they're reading their Bible, right? Because they didn't get up early enough to read it at home or whatever, you know? Here's the thing. You ought to maintain a good testimony and abstain from all appearance of evil, but that requires self-control. Look, you know, I, for me personally, I have a rule. I don't drive with, with women that, that aren't my wife or my mom, you know? 
I don't drive with women in vehicles by myself. I don't meet with them. You know, women say, I want to meet with you, Pastor. I always tell people, you can meet with my wife or you can meet with me and my wife. But you're not going to meet with me and you by, by ourselves. I'm not going to meet with a woman in a room by, herself, by myself alone. I don't go soul winning with women. I don't allow men to go soul winning with women that they're not married to. Look, I know pastors who were out soul winning with a woman from the church and then they were committing adultery with a woman from a church. You say, well, do you think that's going to happen to you? I don't think that's going to happen to me. But I'm going to abstain from all appearance of evil. You know, in your life and in my life, we ought to work hard at identifying. And you may think it's silly. When we go to restaurants, my wife and I go to restaurants, and they have those little, you know, uh, wine glasses there. I turn those things around. As soon as a waiter comes by, I say, can you get those things off my table? People come by and say, well, we can put, you know, you don't have to put wine there. We can put, you know, uh, uh, apple cider in there for you. Look, you say, well, Pastor, I think you're going, you're going a little overboard. Here, think about this. I got a wine glass with apple cider juice in it. Someone snaps a picture, puts it on Facebook, and people are like, Pastor, man, it's a drinking wine. Hey, look, that's the appearance of evil. You say, well, you're a little overboard. Hey, it requires self-control. It requires thinking ahead. It requires living a life of discipline to say, I will maintain a good testimony. I will live a life that is honoring to God. It requires self-control. Let me give you another one. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, look at verse 3. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 3. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 says this, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain. You see that word abstain? The word abstain means to restrain oneself. You know what that means? Self-control. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. You know that maintaining purity requires self-control? Listen to me. Listen to me. If you're, you're in this room, you're single, you're not married, if you're going, you young people, if you're going to maintain a life of purity, it's going to require self-control. It's going to require you purposing in your heart and you saying, we live today in a society where they're telling you there's nothing wrong with that, that's old fuddy-duddy, that, you know, that, you know now you, you, everybody can just sleep around, it's no big deal. That's what the world says, and the world you know, can, can go jump off a bridge as far as I'm concerned. The Word of God says that it's a sin to fornicate. It's a sin to have a physical relationship before marriage. It's a sin, it's not right. And you, look, God says it's the will of God for your life. God says, I want you to live a pure life. I want you to live a clean life. Hey, young people, listen to me. God's will for your life is that you walk down that aisle the day you get married and that you be pure and that you be a virgin and that you be clean before God. That's his will for your life. But that's going to require self-control. That's going to require abstaining from the appearance of evil. Listen, young ladies, that's going to mean you're not going to want to be in a car with that young boy by yourself. I can't believe you would say, my goal is to have, make sure that my daughters, when they walk down that aisle, they're pure. And here's my goal. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guarantee it. Amen. There's going to be no, you, you, people are going to say, are you, you know your, your daughter's a virgin? I'm going to say, I know my daughter's a virgin because there was physically never an opportunity for her to not be a virgin. You know, my, my wife, you know, she laughs when I make jokes like this, but I'm like, they're not going on dates on their own. I will be the third wheel. I will be there. My eyes will be on them at all times. That's my job as a dad. And I wish some dads would just take that seriously for their daughters and for their young boys and teach your boys that you ought to be clean, you ought to be pure. And how about some of our mature Christians? Why don't you get the sin out of your life? Say, well, it's hard because it requires self-control. 
because you always take the path of least resistance, because you always do that which is easy, because you never do that which is hard. Maintaining purity requires self-control. Let me give you number six. Go to Ephesians chapter number six. You're there in 1 Thessalonians. Keep going backwards. You're going to go past Colossians, Philippians, Ephesians, Ephesians chapter six. Ephesians chapter six. Look at verse number 19. Ephesians chapter six. Look at verse 19. Ephesians chapter 6, 19. As for me, this is what the Apostle Paul said, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. He's putting in a prayer request, and he's saying, will you pray for me that I would have the boldness to open my mouth boldly and make known the mystery of God, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Do you know that soul winning requires self-control? If you're going to be the witness that God has called you to be, if you're going to be the soul winner that God has called you to be, and you're going to speak up for God to your neighbors, to your co-workers, to your friends, out soul winning to a complete stranger is going to require you getting self-control. Hey, by the way, just showing up on Saturday morning requires self-control. It's easier to say, I'll just stay home. It's easier to say, I'll just sleep in. It's easier to say, I'll just go for a walk. I'll just work on my garden. It requires self-control and self-denial for someone to say, I will be a soul winner. And here the Apostle Paul, the greatest soul winner probably who ever lived other than the Lord Jesus Christ, said, will you pray for me that I open my mouth boldly, that I don't chicken out, that I don't take the path of least resistance, and I do that which I don't want to do, which is to preach the gospel? You know, we don't always want to preach the gospel. Let me give you number seven. Go to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. You're there in Ephesians 6, one chapter over. Ephesians chapter 5. Number seven, sticking to a schedule requires self-control. Sticking to a schedule requires Self-control, Ephesians chapter 5, notice what the Bible says, see then that you walk circumspectly. The word circumspectly or circumspect means carefully, means on purpose. I heard somebody give the illustration once of, you know, walking circumspectly. I should have done this. Man, you know, next time I'll do this. But the the illustration was this. If I were to take a bunch of, you know, tacks, you know, those little tacks you put on the wall, they're kind of sharp. If I were to take a bunch of tacks and just play them out on the platform here, and then I asked Brother Stucky to come up here, and, you know, if I I asked him to get back to his West Virginia roots and to take his shoes and socks off and come up here and walk through those tacks, you know, you know what he would be doing, he would be walking very circumspectly to make sure that he doesn't hit those tacks, right? He'd be real careful about where he's walking and what he's doing. Here the Apostle Paul says, he says, see then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. And what does he say that means? Redeeming the time. Putting value on time because the days are evil. You know that God, you know that God has given you a certain amount of days on this earth? We have no time to waste. Notice what he says. Because the days are evil, we have no time to waste. Every day is precious. Every hour, every minute. And how often so much of it is wasted. We waste it on Facebook. We waste it on YouTube. We waste it on TV. We waste it on sleeping in. We waste it on staying up. We waste the time that God has given us. But here's the thing. Sticking to a schedule requires self. Control requires you to learn to control yourself and say, you know, and let me say this, and I don't even know if any of you showed up late tonight, I, don't, I didn't even notice, but here's the thing, you know, I, I always say this, whenever I talk about people being late, whoever's late that night gets mad at me because the pastor's preaching, people are late every, every service, all right, so if, if I have to wait for the Sunday or the Wednesday when people aren't late, I'll never get to preach on it, all right, so here's the thing, you know, 
Quit being late. <laughs> That's all I'm trying to say. You know, and I'm not talking about, look, we're all going to be late from time to time. I'm talking to those of you that are late all the time. It boggles my mind. I mean, I would understand if we were, like, messing with you every week. It's like this week, Sunday night's at 5 p.m., and then next week it's at 5.30, and then the next week it's at 6.30, and the next week we're actually having it at midnight. I mean, if that's what we were doing to you, I would get that. But guess what? Sunday night service is at 6 p.m. every week. Wednesday night service is at 7 p.m. every week. Do you know that every Sunday church starts at 10.30 a.m.? I don't understand why people, you know, they're constantly walking in late. They're constantly walking. And here's what I've noticed. They're always 15 minutes late, 10 minutes late. Five minutes late. I want to tell him, like, why don't you just start 15 minutes early? Why don't you just learn to control? Well, I just didn't notice. Why don't you get control over your schedule and learn to redeem the time? No, you'd quit getting fired if you showed up on time. You'd quit getting people upset at you if you quit wasting their time. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I knew a guy in the military who literally got court-martialed out of the Air Force because he could not figure out how to show up to work on time. Ruined his life. What was he doing? Playing video games all night long. We tried to help him, but he just was a child. First Corinthians chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians. Go, you're going backwards. Ephesians, Galatians, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Look at verse 27. Here's another thing that requires self-control. Giving regularly requires self-control. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, look at verse 7. Every man according as he purposeth, notice that word, purposeth in his own heart, so let him give. You know that people who give regularly do it because they purpose in their heart. And then because they purpose, notice, not grudgingly or of necessity. And, by, you know, I say this, I'm going to say it soon when we have our, our offering uh, sermon, but I say it every, every, every year that we have an offering, I preach on giving. And, and, I, and I mean it, I mean it. We, we only want happy money at Verity Baptist Church. If you're giving grudgingly, if you're giving upset, if you're mad, keep your stinking money. And I mean that. We don't need it. We don't want it. God will bless us without it. If you have a bad attitude about giving, we don't want your money. You know, the Bible says that, you know, that your money perishes with you. The, the Bible tells us here that we ought to give not grudgingly or of necessity for God loveth a cheerful giver. But here's what I want you to understand. Every week you get paid, every month, whenever you get paid, there will always be a reason not to give. There's always going to be a reason to, you know, well, you know, I'm, and people say like, Pastor, I'm going to start tithing, but I just can't this month because I'm behind on this. And then the next month they're behind on that. And then the third month they're behind on that. And they never give. You know what, I, I, just, I just, the first check I, we make out at, at our house is Verity Baptist Church. We tithe. If I'm going to pay anyone, it's going to be God first. If I need somebody to be on my good side, it's God. You know, if PG&E is going to be upset at me, I'd rather they be upset and not God. But guess what? We always pay our bills. God always takes care of it. If you honor him with your finances, but it requires self-control. Giving regularly requires self-control. Go to Matthew. Matthew chapter 26. Look at verse 41. Matthew 26, verse 41. Matthew 26. We're almost done. Whatever that means. Matthew 26, look at verse 41. Let me give you a ninth thing that requires self-control. Prayer requires self-control. Prayer requires self-control. Matthew 26, 41, Jesus said to the disciples there, he said, watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. This is, this is the description of most people's prayer life. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. You know, you start to pray and you fall asleep. 
You really want to, but your flesh is weak. You start to pray and you get all distracted. You start to pray, you know, and, you know, let me give you some advice on prayer. Do something while you're praying. If you can't, you know, if you can't get on your knees and stay awake to pray, do something while you're praying. Go for a walk. Get on the treadmill, you know. Uh, do something. Be, be productive. But make sure you take time to pray. But prayer requires self-control. We don't like to pray, but we need to pray. We need to access God in our lives. But we need, uh, we need to learn to pray, to pray but prayer requires uh, self-control. Let me, give you, let me give you five more. The next five are going to come out of the book of Proverbs. So get, get, your, get to the book of Proverbs. If you open up your Bible, just right in the center, you'll more than likely find the book of Psalms. Right after Psalms, you got the book of Proverbs. Let me quickly give you five more. Then I'm going to give you some steps on how to develop self-control. Proverbs 17, look at verse 27. Proverbs 17, verse 27. Controlling your words requires self-control. controlling your words requires self-control. One of these days, I'm going to do an entire series on just developing people skills. (laughs) Because I feel like most people have such bad people skills. And the way they talk and the things they say are so rude and offensive. Proverbs 17, 27 says this, He that hath knowledge spareth his words, and a man of understanding is of an excellent spirit. Proverbs 29.20. Go to Proverbs 29.20. You're in Proverbs 17. Just flip over to Proverbs 29.20. Notice Proverbs 29.20, what the Bible says. Proverbs 29.20 says this. Seest thou a man that is hasty in his words, quick in his words? There is more hope for a fool than of him. The Bible says that your words be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. Go to Proverbs 25. Look at verse 28. Proverbs 25, verse 28. Not only controlling your words requires self-control. You know that mastering your moods requires self-control? Uh-oh, I'm making trouble here. Mastering your moods requires self-control. Proverbs 25, look at verse 28. He that hath no rule, he that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. Do you know... Do you know that we should not be able to tell at church that you're fighting with your spouse? You know that? You know that you should have enough discernment and enough, you know, just common sense? It's always funny when couples walk into church and they're like, and it's like the wife's over here and the husband's over here. And it's like, oh, I wonder what's going on, you know? You guys having problems? You need some counseling, you know? Hey, look, learn to control yourself. Learn to master your moods. Learn in the in the military they used to they used to say this to us fix your face <laughs> whenever we you know somebody had a bad attitude you know somebody would walk up and say fix your face sometimes I want to say that to church people fix your face you know master your mood he that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls you know that managing your money requires self control go to Proverbs twenty one look at verse twenty Proverbs twenty one look at verse twenty Proverbs twenty one verse twenty there is treasure to be desired and oil in the dwellings of the wise, but a foolish man spent it up. See, it requires self-control to live on a budget. It requires self-control to tell yourself, I'm not going to spend more than this, or I'm only going to spend on this. It's easy to say, but I want that. It's easy to say, but I, I need that. And it's always funny what people need. It's easy to say, well, I just put that on credit. But you know, managing your money requires self-control. And here's what it requires for you to learn. To tell yourself, no. 
I won't do that. I will wait. I will save. I will pay cash for that. Managing your money requires self-control. Go to Proverbs 23, look at verse 1. Proverbs 23, verse 1. Controlling your eating requires self-control. Controlling your eating requires self-control. Proverbs 23, look at verse 1. When thou sittest to eat with a ruler, consider diligently what is set before thee. Notice what he says. And put a knife to thy throat. Talk about getting your body under subjection. And put a knife to thy throat if thou be a man given to appetite. You know, sometimes we just overeat. We eat too much. And it requires self-control, self-denial, self-restraint to say, no, I'm not going to do that. Go to Proverbs 23, look at verse 29. Proverbs 23, verse 29. Not drinking alcohol requires self-control. And not after that, drugs. You know, not being under the substance requires self-control. Proverbs 23, look at verse 29. Who hath woe, who hath sorrow, who hath contentions, who hath wabblings, who hath wounds without cause, who hath redness of eyes, they that tarry long at the wine, they that seek mixed wine. And people often say, that's just talking about getting drunk. That's not talking about drinking alcohol. But look at verse 31. He says, look not thou upon the wine. Like he says, don't even look at it. That's a command. Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth its color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. I'm not going to take the time to develop this. I've preached it and taught it in other lessons. But in the Bible, wine here is referring to, to, to alcohol. Not all wine in the Bible is alcohol. That's why he says, look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth its color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. What that's telling us is there, are, there is some wine that you can look at. Because the Bible word, it often, you know, in, in, in the time when our King James Bible was written, the, the word juice wasn't used as commonly as it is today. And they would call juice wine and alcohol wine. But you can look at the context and he says, hey, look not thou upon the wine when it is red. When it giveth its color in the cup, when it moveth itself right, he's saying when it's fermented, at the last it biteth like a serpent, stingeth like an adder, thine eyes shall behold strange women, and thine heart shall utter perverse things. Yea, thou shalt be as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea, or as he that lieth upon the top of the mast. They have stricken me, shalt thou say, and I was not sick. They have beaten me, and I felt it not. When shall I awake? Here's an addict. I will seek it yet again. Some of you ask me, what, what does it mean to be a drunkard? If you're waking up and drinking, you're a drunkard. All right? And you, know, and you say, well, i got to get control over that. It's going to require, you know. Here's why people go into addictions, because they lack self-control. Whatever it is, drugs, alcohol, pornography, whatever, whatever it is, if you allow yourself to be brought under the power of uh, an addiction, it's because you're not, you, you've learned to take the path of least resistance. You've learned to do that which is good, which feels good, which is easy. That's why we gain weight. That's why our finances are a mess. That's why we say things we shouldn't say. That's why we, uh, uh, you know, don't uh, master our moods. Go, go to Proverbs 16, look at verse 32. This is the last one. And then I'm going to give you uh, some things about how to master, how to, how to develop self-control, how to develop uh, willpower. Proverbs 16, look at verse 32. He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh the city. Keeping your cool requires self-control. Not just getting upset, you know, you're, you're not being that guy on, on a, I'm just on a short, you know, fuse and I just get so mad I can't control myself. Hey, be slow to anger. Rule your spirit. But all of that requires self-control. So let me give you, just quickly, just as we, as we close tonight, let me give you four steps for developing self-control. Can you get back to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 where we started? 1 Corinthians chapter 9 where we started. Let me give you four steps. You had to jot these down. You didn't have to jot down the other 15. 
Just whichever one hits you, that's the one you need, all right? But go to, but go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, look at verse 24. Let me give you four steps for developing self-control. Number one, live with a purpose. Live with a purpose. Remember what, what Paul said? Know ye not that they which run the race run all, but one receiveth the prize, so run that ye may obtain. Later on, the Apostle Paul would say in the book of Philippians, he would say, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. He said, But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, he said, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God. And, and he said, I've got a mark. He said, I've got a goal. I've got a purpose. You've got to live with a purpose in order to develop self-control. You've got to give yourself something that you're attaining towards. I'm going to get my finances under control. I'm going to get out of debt. I'm going to save. I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to beat this habit. I'm, whatever it is, I'm going, to, I'm going to stop being late everywhere. I'm going to get control of my mouth. Whatever it is, live with a purpose. Live with a prize. Live with something that you're striving to get. Something that you're trying to get. You know, something I've noticed, my wife and I, we, uh, we have a weekly date night. And, uh, you know, generally, you know, we'll do it on a Thursday night or something like that. You know what I've noticed is that on our, the, the, the day of our date night are, is usually the most productive day of my week. I mean, I get the most amount of work done on Thursday, you know, and, and, and here's what I, I, I realize is because I wake up Thursday morning thinking to myself, I've got a date night with my wife. And I'm excited about that. And I'm looking forward to that. But i got to get all this work done if I'm going to be able to get on that date night. You see what I'm saying? And I work all day long with this prize, you know, that we're going to go have dinner somewhere. We're going to spend time by ourselves. And it's going to be a great, great time. You know, and here's what I've noticed. If you live with a purpose, if you live with a prize, if you say, here's what I'm going to do. Here's what I'm going to accomplish. It makes it easier for you to get done the things that you don't want to do. So live with a purpose. Live with a prize. Run that you may obtain. Let me give you a second thing. Can you go to Romans chapter number 13? You're there in 1 Corinthians. Go backwards one book into the book of Romans. Romans chapter number 13. The first thing you need to do to develop self-control is live with a purpose. You know, if you want to lose weight, decide, I want to lose this much weight by this much time, and then I'm going to give myself a prize. Give yourself a prize. Go on a trip. Do something nice. Buy yourself a new wardrobe, whatever. You know, I'm going to save a certain amount of money or I'm going to get out of debt and then we're going to go on a trip or whatever it is, you know. But give yourself something to strive for. Live with a purpose and, uh, and it will help you develop self-control. The second thing you ought to do to develop self-control is this. Make a plan for dealing with temptations. Make a plan for dealing with temptations. You're there in Romans chapter 13. Look at verse number 14. Romans 13 and verse 14. The Bible says this, But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, notice, and make not, and make not provision for the flesh, for the lust thereof. The word provision means opportunity, to provide for. He says don't allow an opportunity or don't provide an opportunity for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Now, I'm, I'm thankful for my, my wife. My wife, on Sunday, on Sunday morning, she gets up at 5 in the morning, and she uh, starts a crock pot meal at 5 in the morning so that it can cook all morning long while we're at church or whatever. And, you know, when we, some, we get out of church generally late because we have to stay and, you know, we talk to people, whatever. And, you know, it's 1 or 1.30 by the time we get in the car, and there's a temptation to just, you know, 
go to that little Mexican restaurant we like, right? And waste money, right? But here's the thing: when that crock, when that crockpot meals in the in the you know that meals in the crockpot, we just drive straight home, and we there's no provision for the flesh. There's no, you know, there's no opportunity to say, let's just waste money here or let's go over there. We just have the meal ready, you know, unless we plan to have somebody over or take somebody out or whatever, you know. But here, here's the point. You've got temptations. You've got things that mess you up. Learn those things and then learn how to circumvent them. Create a plan to help you. If it's dieting, if it's finances, if it's anger, if it's whatever it is, learn to make a plan to not provide for temptations. The temptations will always be there. Learn to deal with them, and it'll help you develop self-control. Go to Luke chapter number 9. Luke chapter number 9. Luke chapter 9, look at verse number 23. So the first thing you ought to do to develop self-control is live with a purpose. The second thing you ought to do to develop self-control is make a plan for dealing with temptations. You know what those temptations are. You know that sin that does so easily beset you. And just look at that thing and say, okay, every time I drive by this, one place, I end up, you know, going there. Every time I, you know, am on the computer by myself, I end up doing this. Every time I end up, whatever it is for you, you know, every time I, I, I do X, Y, and Z, here's the result. So I'm going to learn how to protect myself against X, Y, and Z. Number three, learn to say no to yourself. And start with the easy things. Notice Luke 9.23. Notice what the Bible says. Luke 9.23. And he said to them all, if any man will come after me, here's the Christian life, let him deny himself. Let him deny himself. That means say no to self. Take up his cross daily and follow me. Willpower is a muscle. You can strengthen it by exercising it. But oftentimes we have learned to just say no. We, we've learned to not say no. That's the problem. We've learned to not, we never say no to ourselves. We always say yes to whatever feels good. We always say yes to the path of least resistance. We always say yes to whatever comes easiest. You need to learn to say no to yourself. And start with things that maybe aren't that big of a deal. It's not that hard for you to say no in this area, but learn to say no. Learn to say no. Learn to say no. You'll begin to develop that willpower. You'll begin to develop that, that ability to just say no. I'm going to deny myself. The Christian life is a life of denial. And he said to them all, if any man will come after me, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're going to be successful in following Christ, let him deny himself, take up his cross. What do you do on a cross? You kill something. You know what you need to do is just put yourself on a cross every day. And just put yourself and say, no, we're not going to go there. I'm going to die to self. Here's a, here's a fourth thing, and it's right there in Luke 9.23. And he said unto them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross Here's the key word, daily. See that word daily? And follow me. You don't have to turn there, but 1 Corinthians 15, 31, Paul said this, I protest by your rejoicing, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die daily. Here's what you need to do. You need to live with a purpose. Here's what you need to do. You need to make a plan for dealing with temptations. Here's what you need to do. You need to learn to say no to yourself, to deny yourself. Start with the easy things, but learn to say no. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to go there. And then here's what you need to do. Number four, you need to develop a daily routine. Listen to me. If you want to be successful in life, this is probably the, this is probably the number one thing you need to learn. If you want to be successful in life, you need to learn to do the same thing on Monday that you always do on Monday. And the same thing on Tuesday that you always do on Tuesday. And the same thing on Wednesday that you always do on Wednesday. And the same thing on Thursday that you always do. You need to just get your life on a routine where you do the same things 
every day, and it's a special thing when you're on vacation. It's a special thing when you do something out of the ordinary, but our lives should be a life of routine, of developing habits. And by the way, here's a great routine. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. You know, Lee Roberson, the, the preacher of the past, used to say, you know, three to thrive. You need three to thrive. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Hey, soul morning, Saturday morning. That's a great routine. Get in a routine where you get up at the same time every day, where you go to bed at the same time every day, where you do the same things every day. And as you do those things, you'll strengthen that habit of saying no, that habit of living with a purpose, that habit of, of, of learning to deal with your temptations. Listen, if you're, look, some of you are not going to make it. I, you know, and I don't, don't take that the wrong way. I love all of you, and I hope you all make it. I hope that 40 years from now, you're all still with us, and we're just going strong for the things of God. But some of you are going to be castaways. You want the list? I can give you the list. I can give you a list right now. I won't, but I can give you a list right now. Ten names of people that were with us Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, soul winning, tithing. They were faithful. I was their pastor. This was their church. And today, they're just not here anymore. They're just not with us anymore. They've gone. They didn't last. What was the problem? They lacked temperance. They lacked self-control. If you're going to make it, if you're going to make it in the Christian life, you're going to have to learn this lesson to get control of yourself. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father,